Would you grab a Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 17? Exodus chapter 17. As has been mentioned, we've been going through Exodus uh, the last several weeks, and I'm with Mary Ann. It, it frustrates me because I see myself in Exodus, right? I mean, especially the, the unbelief, the, the lack of belief, I think is a better way to say it. Um, God is, is present in our lives. We all know that. We've seen it happen. Um, not that we just hear about it or we read it in the newspapers or on the internet or anything like that, what God is doing. Those are great things, but we've, we've actually seen, we've actually, uh, if you haven't done that, I, my prayer is for you, if you haven't seen God at work in your life, I, my prayer this week is that you see God uh, very clearly, that you recognize that as, as being God. Uh, most of us, I think, can relate when I say that we've seen God, we've heard from God, and yet, that was yesterday. What about today? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we get to the other side of the sea, so to speak. We get to the Red Sea. We've seen him destroy the Egyptians. We, we've seen what he could do with the Pharaoh and with the chariots and with all the commanders in the Egyptian army. We've seen that. Now what? We've been on the mountaintop, if you want to think about it that way. We, we've been on the mountaintop, right? And yet, we know that there's a valley coming. Is that fair? In Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Let me read that again. Chapter 11, verse 1 of Hebrews says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for an assurance about we, what we do not see. Later on, you know that in verse 6 it says, without faith it is impossible to please God. I have a question for you this morning regarding your faith. Do you believe or don't you believe? Do you believe that God can do what God can do? It's not just about seeing things in a newspaper or reading about events on the internet and, and seeing things that other experience. It's not about just hearing the good things that God is doing in Turkey, but I'm talking about right here, right now, in your crisis of belief, if you will, whatever that happens to be. Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's a physical ailment. Maybe it's a relational issue. I don't know what your... Maybe you, like Paul, and you pray three times, take this thorn from my flesh. And the third time, you're pretty frustrated about praying. And God keeps saying, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. Maybe that describes you this morning. But my question to you is, do you believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? It's easy to say, yes, I believe that. Yes, I, amen, 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 I get that. We're in, a, we're in a safe place, and that's the way I'm supposed to answer today. But I think sometimes honesty is a better policy than just the Christian answers. The Israelites were going through a crisis of belief here in Exodus chapter 17. Remember last week, those of you who were here, we talked in Exodus chapter 14 about God doing great things, and we got to an end of the text where it says three things. He said, fear not. 
We all struggle with fear, don't we? I mean, the flesh struggles with fear. And yet God tells Moses to tell the Israelites, hey, number one, you ought to fear not. Number two, you ought to stand firm. As I mentioned to you last week, know that you know that you know. And then thirdly, watch God. Watch what God, watch what God can do. God can cause Moses to raise his staff above the Red Sea and the seas, the waters part, right? Right? These are not just vacation Bible school stories, right? These are actual events that actually happened. God's still in the business of miracles, right? God can answer prayers, right? Not only can, but He does answer prayers, right? And then we get to the next day. In chapter 17, the Israelites, as I've mentioned, have gone through the Red Sea. They've clamored to Moses about nothing to eat. Whining to Moses, grumbling to Moses about, hey, if we would have just stayed in Egypt, everything would have been okay. I know that slavery was bad, and I know that we had to make our own bricks eventually because you opened your big mouth, right? If you would have just left us in bondage. That's a pretty sad state of affairs when you get to that point. And God provides manna. What is it? This, this cake stuff that falls from the sky. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 16. And God provides and provides and provides and provides, and they enjoy His provision. They enjoy His provision. They enjoy His provision, and yet sometimes we're quick to forget of how good God is. Chapter 17, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. God, leading people out of bondage, leads them to a desert where there is no water to drink. Doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, logically, you wouldn't go from point A to point B by going to point C first, right? You would go in a straight shot, but if you, if you look at your... It's history. You, you look, if you study this scenario, God does not go from point A to point B. God leads them in the long way around, if you will. And the long way around includes a desert where there is no water. Why would a God do that? There was no water for the people to drink. You can mark this down if you're taking notes, or at least take notes in your head. This is a crisis of belief, and we've talked about crisis of belief throughout the book of Exodus, whether it's Pharaoh, whether it's the Egyptians, whether it's Moses and Aaron themselves, whether it's you or I, we have crisis of belief, and those crises of belief cause us to act sometimes in irrational ways, do they not? We come to a fork in the road, and the Spirit tells us to go to the left, and there's something else, someone else, that tells us to go to the right. Anybody? You know every time you listen to the Spirit, you have peace, right? And every time you don't listen to the Spirit, what happens? You have chaos, right? This fork in the road is their crisis of belief. We followed Moses and Aaron. We followed you from 
Egypt, we, we followed you from this place where we, we heard about the promised land. You've told us about this place that God has called you to lead us to, and yet we find ourselves in the middle of nowhere. There's not any shade around. It must be at least 110 degrees. No air conditioners. Worse yet, there's no water to drink. I and mean, we can live without food for a while, right? I mean, that's just, that's just scientific proof, right? You can live without food for a while, but water to drink, you need water to drink. And so their crisis of belief, church, is we're in the middle of nowhere and there's no water. You must have not heard from God, Moses. What are you doing? More so, what is God doing? So they quarreled with Moses. So they grumbled with Moses. So they complained. So they bellyached. So they, the better Hebrew, I think, here is they wrestled. There's this grappling with Moses. And they said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you... Catch this next question here. Why do you quarrel with me, Moses says? Why do you test the Lord? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty. The people were at their point of crisis. The people were so focused on the circumstances. The people were so focused on their here and now that they forgot who God was. You follow what I'm saying? We get so caught up in the woe is me. I say we. I'm going to throw you all under the bus. We. That's our carnal nature. That's who we are as human beings. As broken individuals living in a broken world. We get focused on the circumstances rather than the one who's above the circumstances. We talked about it last week. Peter only begins to sink when? when he focuses on the storm and not on the one who calls him from the boat. You get the idea? And they grumble against Moses. They grumble against God. That word in verse 3, that contrast word, that but. But the people were thirsty. They were focused on their circumstances for water. And they grumbled against Moses and they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? Here's that same old complaint, right? We, we could have stayed right there, and I know it was rough. At least we had three square meals a day, and the Egyptians would give us water to drink. A dead slave is no good for anything, right? So they're going to give you food and water, so you'll keep working. Then Moses cried out to the Lord. You know what? If you hang around, if you hang around people that lack faith, guess what happens? get to the point where they begin to rub off on you. You follow what I'm saying? It's, it's almost contagious. So Moses cries out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? Why do I know that Moses is messed up in his head? Because this next phrase here in verse 4, they're almost ready to stone me. It's not about you, God. Remember David, when he goes to Goliath, David's focus is not on Goliath the Philistine. What's his focus on? The Philistines have come against God, right? 
that, that's his focus. But here, Moses is so upset with the Israelites because they're about ready to stone Moses. He's afraid for his life. And notice what God says. The Lord says to Moses in verse 5, Go out in front of the people. That word go sounds a lot familiar, sounds really familiar to what we talked about last week, right? Fear not. You won't go if you're afraid. So let me tell you, go, fear not. Go in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile. Go, I will stand, I will stand. You hear God's promise? You can go. And how do you go, knowing that I will stand? It makes sense to anybody? I will stand before you by the rock, and here's what I want you to do with the rock at Horeb. I want you to strike the rock. That's When I was reading this text and studying this text over the last couple of weeks, that phrase, strike the rock, I thought, what in the world? Strike the rock, it's always, always kind of taking me aback when I read that. Why would God tell him to strike the rock? I know that he raised the staff when... They got to the Red Sea, and they saw the Egyptians on their tail. He was told to raise the staff and to pray, and they all went through the Red Sea. And when they were fighting all the Amalekites and the Perizzites and all the Ites, right, every time that Moses would lift his hands, the Israelites would be victorious. And even when he got tired, they set him on a rock, and they held his hands up for him, right, and they continued to reach out to God. And every time they reached out to God and acknowledged who God was, they were victorious, but every time his arms began to falter. The Israelites were not victorious. But what about the striking the rock? What's that about? Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massah and Meribah because two things. Because the Israelites quarreled or grumbled or grappled with Moses and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Isn't that question at the end there in verse 7, isn't that, isn't that the key to understanding this crisis of belief? Is the Lord among us or not? When you get to the fork in the road and you know you should go left, but something else, someone else, the enemy tells you to go right, then you have a decision to make. And that decision to make is, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord the same yesterday, today, and forever? Is God really as good as He claims to be? This is their crisis of belief. This is their choice. Well, they choose grumbling obviously, right? They choose complaining. They choose wrestling with Moses and with God. All too often I choose grumbling and complaining and wrestling with those who've spoken into my life and more importantly, wrestling with God. Maybe you do as well. Moses has a choice, of course. Moses could say, I'm not listening to you guys. Get out of my tent or wherever they approach him. Right? God has always, always provided for us. Remember when? Remember when? Remember when? I think that's the reason that we gather around this table every Sunday, right? It's not just about 
sharing with each other our complaints, our belly aches, our prayer list. More importantly, it's about recognizing those praises, those times where God has come through, right? Where God is faithful, where God is good. Yes? And yet all too often we're more focused on the troubles, the circumstances, than the goodness of God. Than this fear not, or this go, this stand firm, strike the rock. Or this watch God, where he says in Exodus chapter 17, I will be there. I started thinking about water. You know, you strike the rock, Moses, and all of a sudden this water gushes forth, and symbolism throughout water. There's a lot of symbolism throughout the Scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament in regards to water. And Sometimes it speaks about purity, and sometimes it speaks about Jesus. In the New Testament, he uses the, the term water when he, I think it's John chapter 7, check me on that. Water's an interesting thing, but what about this striking the rock? Why, why is that so important? Strike the rock. Go, fear not, I will stand, water will come out. And so I started looking at Old Testament texts. And I came across a text in Deuteronomy chapter 32. I think it's right up here for you. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. The rock, by the way, if you don't know this text, this is as Moses is transitioning to Joshua, right? Leadership, the mantle's being passed over. And Moses is singing in Deuteronomy 32, but he's singing about his woes, right? His ingrown toenail. No, that's not what he's doing. He's singing about God's faithfulness. He's reminding the people of how good God is. And hear what he says. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. Kind of interesting pronoun there, his, right? Rock, his, what's that about? And then you... The pronoun he's referring to right there, a God. The rock is God, right? Here in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. It may not make sense, church, to go to the desert. It may not make sense to go to a place where there is no water. It doesn't matter if it makes sense here or not. If it's where God has called you, that's where you should be. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. We could sing that over and over and over again throughout our lives, could we not? Moses is testifying. This is the same Moses who cried out to God, they're about to stone me. The same Moses is testifying about God's faithfulness here in Deuteronomy chapter 3. And I thought, well, maybe that's, maybe that's not common. Maybe that's an anomaly. Maybe Moses is just feeling really spiritual on that Sunday or that day, right? Then I found Psalm 18. Psalm 18, verse 2, says it this way. The Lord is my rock. That Lord, if you know your scriptures, you know capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. That's God himself. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. This is David, by the way. And he's praising God for God's faithfulness when... David is delivered from Saul and his enemies. This is a psalm of praise. David says, Yahweh, 
God is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, there it is, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You know the interesting thing about rock? A rock is something stable, right? A rock is something that, I mean, I'm talking about a big rock. I'm not talking about pebble, you know, I'm talking about big rock. Rock takes some effort to move, right? It's stable. It's not going anywhere. It's sedentary, right? It's something you can count on. So when God is described as being our rock, I think that's something important that we all ought to move from here to here. I could show you several other Old Testament texts, but for the sake of time, let me turn to the New Testament. Grab your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Maybe this is just an Old Testament concept, right? God being our rock. I knew better because I knew this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Don't think of just God being our rock. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You there? Yes? For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. Our fathers were all under the cloud. Now, Paul, of course, is writing to the church in Corinth, right? What's he saying about our brothers were all under the cloud? He's referring back to the text we just looked at the last couple of weeks in Exodus, right? When they're led from Egypt toward the promised land, what happened? God shows up in a cloud by day and fire by night, right? God goes before them and God goes behind them when they're being attacked by the Egyptians. Everybody understand? This is a sign of God's providence, right? Right. So Paul is testifying to the church in Corinth about God's goodness. And he says, I don't want you to be aware, bro- unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all protected by God. They were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. We just looked at that. Right? Moses raises his staff. The Israelites go through on dry ground. They get to the other side. Moses lowers his staff. The waters recede, and Pharaoh and the Egyptians are destroyed. Right? All were baptized into Moses. That's kind of a strange way to say it, Paul. They were all unified. Baptism, baptizo, means to be immersed, right? They were all unified with Moses. Moses represented the deliverer. Even in Exodus, right? They were all baptized. They were all unified into Moses in the cloud. Hear that? In God, in the sea, in baptism. And they all ate the same spiritual food. What's that spiritual food? Again, that's Exodus chapter 16. That's the manna, the stuff that falls from the sky. What is it? God's providence. Right? Remember that? If you don't remember it, look back at Exodus chapter 16 later on. There was enough provision for every day. And on the sixth day, they gathered enough for two days, right? If you gathered too much, what happened to it? It rotted. It went away, right? God's providing. God's providing. God's providing. They all drank the same spiritual drink, the water from the rock. The water from the rock. For they drank from the spiritual rock. There's that, there's that word. They drank from the spiritual rock. Interesting that the ESV and several other translations capitalize that word rock. Why? That followed them. 
They see the last phrase. And the rock was, and the rock was, this is, this is an interesting text, right? When you're standing and listening to somebody reading the letter from Paul to the Corinthian church. Paul, what are you talking about? And we know the text in Exodus, right? We know God's goodness. We know God has been faithful. We know God provides. We, we know God is good. Are you, are you really saying what I think you're saying, Paul? That this faithfulness happens through way of the sea, that it happens through way of manna, that it happens through that when, when, when Moses is told to strike the rock that he's actually talking about not Moses or Aaron's faithfulness, because we know that's not true. What's going on there? It's God's faithfulness, right? The reason you strike the rock is because it reminds you of God's faithfulness. And when the rock is struck, what happens? Water flows from the rock. If you know your Gospels, you know that Jesus describes himself as that one who gives living water. John chapter 4, right? Or as I mentioned a little bit earlier, in John chapter 7, he also talks about this living water, this living water. Do you understand what's going on? I've mentioned to you before, we get into the habit of saying, that was Old Testament, but we are New Testament. What a shame. The Gospel is Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Malachi, Matthew. You get the idea? Genesis to Revelation. There's one story, one gospel, one good news, and that good news is from beginning to end, everything in between. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I want you to understand that. It's all about the goodness, the faithfulness of God. Even when, even when God leads you to a place that makes no sense at all. Even when you're, you think. Even when you think you're dying of thirst. Even when you feel like you've been at the fork of the road for hours, for days, for weeks, for months. And you hear the Spirit saying, go this way. And you have that tempter saying, ah, come over here, it's much easier, go this way. Sometimes I feel like I've been at that fork in the road for a long, long time. You know what I'm saying? Even when you're somewhere that doesn't logically makes sense. Again, the question is, do you believe or don't you believe? Are they just are they just fables? Are they just cool stories? True. Do you believe or don't you believe? Now, faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 
By faith we understand the universe was formed at God's command, so what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith, you get the idea? By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. By faith Moses when he had grown up. By faith he kept the Passover. By faith, Rahab. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Do you believe or don't you believe? Even when it's tough to believe.